Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. It is so good to be here this morning. Uh, I'm excited because uh, we are diving into uh, what this 30-day journey is going to look like. And we are starting to get into the nuts and bolts of this series called Rhythms. And so I'm super excited about that. And um, I just hope that uh, this message today, that what you'll find it to do is to inspire and to stir you. And just so I can start from the beginning by saying this is going to be more teaching than it is preaching and I hope that our minds and our hearts will just be open and receptive to what it is that God wants to say. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Um, a couple of books I just want to mention because a lot of what I'm going to be sharing today came from, from these books. And so one is actually a book that a group of us guys uh, here at Inspire get together once a month to go over. And it's called The Deeply Formed Life. And so I, one that I highly recommend for you to grab. And the other one is something that my wife and I just started reading together recently, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And so if you have an opportunity, make sure you go and get those. I think that we might also be giving these away. I'm not sure. Uh, but I know that um, as you sign up for the 30-day journey, that we are going to continue to draw names and hand out resources that I hope will just bless you. So thank you so much. Also, I wasn't here earlier, so I don't know if this was mentioned, but you might look around and see some little faces in the room. And so I just want to welcome the kids that are here this morning. So glad that you're with us. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right, uh, we are talking about rhythms. And last week, Pastor Phil kicked off this new series. And, and really, it's focused on this verse that comes from John chapter 15. It says this, Jesus says, abide in me. Everybody say abide. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, there's that word again, say it again, abides. In the vine, neither can you unless you, whoop, there it is again, say the word abide, abide in me, right? So Jesus is saying, listen, abide in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, you cannot read that passage without asking the question, well, what does it mean to abide? And the idea of this series titled Rhythms really comes from that question. And one answer that may be new to us here at Inspire, but is definitely not new to the body of Christ, is something that Pastor Phil introduced last week called a rule of life. Now, I'm not going to be able to go back and cover everything that Pastor Phil talked about last week, so I highly recommend that you go onto our YouTube page or podcast and listen to that message and then re-listen to it and then even re-listen to it again because it is uh, vital to understanding where we are going in the next 30 days and with this uh, series that is coming up, The Rule of Life. And... Uh, but what I do want to do is I do want to just kind of point out some highlights from last week's message just to kind of refresh our memory that I think will be good as a prologue to today's teaching. And so the first thing is this, you know, having a rule of life to a person is what a trellis is to a vine. Having a rule of life to a person is what a trellis is to a vine. Last week, Pastor Phil talked about how the, the, the trellis is a structure so that way the vine can get off the ground. It creates space so that way the vine can, can bear the maximum amount of fruit. It, it keeps 
disease and wild animals from the vine. Um, and it helps the vine grow in the direction that it's supposed to go. This trellis helps the vine be healthy. And so having a rule of life to a person is much like a trellis to a vine. Last week we talked about how actually everybody does have a rule of life. Everybody does have rhythms. And, and the question is when you look at the rhythms in your life, who are they forming you to become? Remember that? Who are they forming you to become? In other words, Pastor Phil last week said, it is less about being goal-oriented and more about being formation-oriented. And lastly, just to kind of wrap up the overview of last week, we, we remind ourselves that when we are talking about rhythms, when we are talking about these rule of life, and for the next few weeks as we talk about rhythms that we are inviting you to partake in, that the win here is not to shame you. It's not to guilt you, but it's to inspire you to audit your current rhythms and invite you to slow down in a hectic, overstimulated culture and to participate in rhythms that lead to life, to participate in a life that abides in Christ. And so there, there are really four core rhythms that we are wanting to invite you as a church to participate in. There are two daily rhythms and there are two weekly rhythms for this 30-day journey. Just for 30 days, we want to invite you to do this. Two daily rhythms and two weekly rhythms. And the daily rhythm is this, daily prayer and daily reading. And then the weekly is weekly fasting and weekly attending. And so daily prayer, we want to invite you to pray daily we, 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 and, and, to, and to read daily. We want to invite you to go to the Psalms and start with Psalm 1 and read that Psalm and, and, and pray on it and, and, and begin to process in the Lord. And then weekly fasting is Wednesday morning. We, would, we, we want to invite you to, uh, to fast your lunch, and, 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 I mean your breakfast and your lunch just on Wednesdays. And then together as a church, we'll break our fast at dinner time. And then weekly attending, we want, it, we, we want you to make it your goal, your priority to, to, to have you and your family um, to come and be weekly attenders during this series. So these are just the core rhythms that we want to invite you to participate in. And so this morning, I'm covering the first rhythm, and that is prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son that died on the cross, God, and because of his sacrifice, because of your grace and your justice and your mercy, Lord, we are here gathered together. I pray that your spirit will illuminate your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Prayer. Prayer. Now, the minute I say prayer, if in your mind you said, oh, that. Yeah, I know, I know, that's important. Okay, but, but what's next? You know, give me the, give me the goods that we, I get prayer, right? But what that tells me is that there are some preconceived notions and ideologies that you have of prayer that I think this message wants to challenge you to think about. I want to tell a story. How it begins is me, at the age of 15 years old, kneeling beside my sick dad, praying that God will let him live. That's how the story begins. How the story ends is that night he dies. He dies. Now you say, Pastor Roger, why in the world would you share a story about prayer and make it to where a prayer, as your example, is one that didn't work? Why would you do that? How is that encouraging us to pray by giving this an example of a prayer that did not work? Work. See, 
how you understand prayer, what you know about prayer, will determine if you heard what I said and thought, see, prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. The rhythm of prayer is so life-giving that when we look at the life of Jesus Christ throughout the Gospels, we often see him in the midst of being the savior of the world, pausing and doing what Luke records in chapter 5. Look what he says. He says, yet the news about him, which is Jesus Christ, spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Pretty important, right? says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If the Son of God had to withdraw to lonely places and pray, how much more, if the sinless Son of God had to, how much more do you and I need to do exactly that. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to talk to you about the hurry of prayer, the horror of prayer, the heap of prayer, and the hope of prayer. All right? Number one, the hurry of prayer. Just as I mentioned how we want to invite you to slow down, Let me just say this. When was the last time that someone in your life said, hey, listen, your life is going way too fast. You just need to slow down. N.T. Wright says this, that you have to slow down in order to catch up to God. The reality is, is that the modern world, and especially here in the Bay Area, it is chronic, fast-paced, and digitally distracting, all of which are enemies of prayer. Enemies of prayer. Corrington Boom, who saved many Jews from the Nazi Holocaust, said, if the devil cannot make you sin, he'll make you busy. He'll make you busy. Another extra hour of work or answering emails first thing in the morning or, or the second sport for the kid or the, the next Instagram alert or just a life of fast-paced speed. Busyness. Overload, exhaustion, digital distraction, whatever you want to label it, it can leave you at worst theological and at best functional type of atheism rather than the life that Jesus calls us to that he calls abiding. Abiding. Psychologist Rosemary Sword had a couple of ways for for, for people to kind of self-diagnose if you have what she calls a hurry sickness. And and so let me just say this and see if you guys can identify if this is you, because I know for sure it's me, but you go to the grocery store and, and, and you're in line and you will change lanes if you see that the other line is shorter, Right? Or how about this? She says, when you drive up to a red light, you'll count the cars ahead of you, and then you'll count the cars in the next lane, and if the next lane can get you one car ahead, you'll go there. Right? Our Ruth Barrington also gave a few. I'm not going to go over all the ones that she gave, but she named like 10. I'm only going to give you a few. One, she says this, if you are irritable and hypersensitive... You're on the edge and you're irritable or hypersensitive. Lots of things are triggering you. Then your life is probably too fast. Restlessness. When you stop to rest, you just can't relax. You just can't relax. It takes a long time to wind down, to sleep. Sometimes you have to sleep with something in order to get that, uh, in order to get you to relax. Maybe it's a TV screen has to be on, music has to be playing, whatever it is. But you're restless. How about this? Compulsive overworking. Compulsive overworking. You, you, you got to get you know, that, that next hour in or, or, or you got to make sure you respond to that text even though you're off the clock. How about this? Escapist behaviors. Binge watching television or movies. Excessive social media usage. 
escape, you just to escape. This is me time and I just need to escape from everything that I'm dealing with. I just need to binge these show or binge this, the, the, these sets of movies. The, the last one that, that I'll share with you is this, a slippage in spiritual practices. What she says is when you look at your life, is there a slippage in your spiritual practices? These things are often the first to go rather than being the first things to go to. Now, these are just a few indicators that the speed of your life is too busy. And it's no wonder we don't have time to pray. Because we're overhurried and digitally distracted, the reality is not only will prayer become artificial, which is why some of us don't pray anyways, but because it feels unauthentic, but the life in the kingdom becomes impossible. The busier and distracted you become, the more marginalized God is. And just as a point of, card, uh, of clarification, when I say busyness, I mean what Pastor John Comer means, and it's not that you have a lot to do, but that you have too much to do. And the script that is repeated in your mind is, I have too much to do and not enough time to do it. And so you just want more time, thinking that's the answer. But in fact, what Pastor John Comer's points out, uh, Comer points out is that the solution to an over-busy life is not more time. But it's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama wrote a collection of essays called The Three Mile Per Hour God. And when you Google that up, what, what, what he's really talking about is the speed of walking. Approximately three miles an hour, the speed of walking. And, and what he's trying to communicate is this, that God is slow. He's slow. And what he says is the reason he is slow is because forming deep relationships take time. Take time. Relationships take time. You do not get depth or intimacy without over time accumulating and dedicating long hours together. W.F. Adams calls hurry the death of prayer. And look what he says. He says to walk with Jesus is to walk at a slow and unhurried pace. Now, this is hard for me because if you guys know me and you see me here on Sunday mornings, I just, I'm, I walk fast. I'm just, I'm just a fast walker. I just, I walk in and I look like I'm just, you know, busy, like, you know, something's on fire all the time. Just walk. And so I, I've had to, Phil and I were talking about this a few weeks ago and it's like, what does it look like for me to just walk in <laughs> and just sort of walk normal, right? Just walk normal, you know, and I'm, and it, it's weird. I got to tell you. It's where I feel like I'm wasting time. I don't, you know what I mean? Andrew Sullivan said this, the great threat to the church isn't hedonism, but distraction. Isn't hedonism, but distraction. In fact, listen, I personally would go as far as to say this, that a hurry and distracted life without prayer creates a false reality for you and me. See, what prayer does is it speaks to the reality that we are not in charge. That we are not dependent, that we are dependent beings. It dispels the fantasy that you are entirely independent and full, in full control of everything that happens to you. See, and what I just said upsets our culture and is adverse to the natural inclination of our hearts because our sin nature says that the most important person is the self. How we feel, what we want, the outcomes we desire, the safety and security that we feel we deserve because we want to be in control. We want to be our own gods. 
So to be awakened to the reality that you are not in charge as much as you would want others to believe you are or as much as we try to manipulate people into thinking we are, what that does is it absolutely scares us. It horrifies us. Number two, the horror of prayer. See, even in a busy and very distractive world, people still make time for what really matters for them, right? Like working out or scrolling through your Instagram or getting into political arguments. So, so when you think about, wait a minute, why is it that I don't pray? When we pose that question, because the reality is, is that if we were to take a survey, I think most of us would admit that either we don't pray or what we say we pray, but we said that's not really prayer, a quick thing over what you're going to eat or, or, you know, help me pass this test or don't let this police officer pull me over, whatever, you know, that doesn't really get, or we just say, we just don't pray. Why? Why? We make time for everything else. We say, well, because I'm, yeah, but we make time for everything else. There has to be something deeper, something beneath the surface that also keeps us from praying. And I think prayer itself makes us anxious. Why? Because it uncovers fears that we can't ignore. So as long as we never engage conversationally with God, we don't have to face the horror. What fears? Well, Dallas Willard points out that with prayer, there is no mastering it or climbing up the ladder and finally getting to the top of, uh, of mastering prayer, but rather prayer is humility and hope. And so to pray means that you are humbling yourself and that you are putting yourself in hope of someone else. In other words, to pray is to risk being naive. Because to pray means that you don't know everything. It's the risk of being naive. It's the risk of believing. The risk of playing the fool. The risk of, some, of trusting someone enough that, that, that they can let you down. And here's the thing. In every other environment, especially here in the Bay Area, we are trained to avoid looking naive. We are trained that we have to be able to master everything or that we should be able to know a bunch of stuff. We should be knowledgeable. The ability to know speaks to our value. We feel valuable if we have knowledge, if we feel like we're not naive. The Bay Area pays you to not be naive. They give you raises to not be naive. Everything about our culture teaches us to do the exact opposite. So we're scared. Secondly, the fear of silence. Dallas Willard writes, silence is frightening because it strips us of nothing else that like nothing else does. It throws on us the stark realities of our life and in the quiet. And he says this, and what if it turns out that in that silent place, there is very little between us and God? That's what we fear. That's what we fear. See, and, and, and even in church, there are times when we can swing the pendulum to the other extreme and think, well, well, well this is how we know that God's spirit is moving. And, and we'll say, we know God's spirit is moving if there's wailing out and if there's music and if the preacher's really fiery, right? And, that, and, if, and if those things aren't happening, then that must mean that God's spirit isn't moving. Sometimes some churches, we will go to that extreme and make those declarations, make those prescriptions, put God in that kind of a box. My grandmother used to say, listen, when you look at an iron and you look at a tea kettle and they both are hot, she goes, the tea kettle will whistle when it's hot. She goes, do not think for a minute that just because the iron is not whistling that you can put your hand on it. Just because it's not loud doesn't mean it's not on fire. 
And what prayer sometimes means is the risk of facing what we describe as awkward silence because we've gotten addicted to noise. And what we might face in the silence horrifies us. Horrifies us. And then there's the fear of selfish motives. That, so that, that we say, well, wait, wait, you know, maybe we pray and the only reason we pray is, is to feel good. To get rid of an overly religious, legalistic guilt. Or, or maybe we only pray, we go to God when we have a laundry list of wishes to the cosmic vending machine. To us, prayer, it becomes a means to some sort of end that is not God. And so we, 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 we begin to say, well, I don't even know if I want to pray because it's beginning to not feel authentic. Because I go to prayer when I want him to save me from this or when I want him to open this door or when I want him to approve of this job or get this house or whatever the situation is. And, and, and all of a sudden it becomes, prayer becomes a means to an end and that end isn't God, it's something else, some lifestyle, some material, some object, some other thing. And it could even be good things. But those things have now become your main goal instead of God. And so, and so because it feels so transactional, and because you fear that you're not coming to him authentically, you just don't pray at all. It just feels fake or like the, a religious thing to check off your list. And so we just don't do it. We just don't do it. See, we're scared of not being able to master it, to, uh, of feeling naive, uh, of admitting of admitting that we, that we don't have all the answers and that we can't do it by ourselves. Our culture has created us to be fearful of that. Our culture has created us to be scared of the horror of silence because in the silence now, we've got to deal with some stuff that we're trying to ignore, so some inner issues that we're trying to not have to face and not have to think about, not have to deal with. This happened with my mom when my mom passed away. Um, it, was, it was very hard for me to create a space where I can grieve and process with God. And so oftentimes when even it was mentioned maybe by my daughters or by my wife, I would just quickly change the subject. And, and in my prayer times, if my mom came to my mind, I would quickly begin to think of something else. My eyes would begin to swell and I could feel this thing within me wanting to just burst out uh, anger and, and frustration and sadness. But, but I, would, I would suppress it and I would just move on because I didn't have time to grieve. And I didn't want to go there. And so I felt... I filled my prayer time up with noise. Because we've created a culture where silence is awkward. In fact, I wonder what would happen if we were to just take 15 seconds and just be silent. That might have been the longest that some of you have been silent in years. In years. Because even when you sleep, you have music playing or the Bible app reading to you or audiobook on or the fan going. Or... Wow. Silence. Selfish motives. 
You go to God and you feel guilty because you're just, it's like you're just trying to get something out of him. And, 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 and you're almost like, your prayer is almost like, God, I, I don't want to have, I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to come to you when I need something. But yeah, I kind of need something. And so then you're like, ah, forget it. You just don't even pray. The last one is, what about the fear of failing? See, there, there's a horror of prayer because we fear failing. We, we say, what, what if I'm doing it all wrong? I, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't pray because I really don't know how to pray. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm not great with, with, with speech and, and I'm not confident and I'm not comfortable. And I hear other people praying out loud and, and that only furthers my own insecurity. And so because I just don't know how to pray and I have some sort of idea in my mind what prayer is supposed to look like, but I, but I don't really know how to do it. When I try to do it, it doesn't happen. I just, I don't know how, so I don't. And see, the reason that that scares you is probably because you are unaware of the heap of prayer. The heap of prayer. In other words, there is a myriad of ways to pray. There is a pile, there is a mountain, there is a heap of prayer. There are many ways that one can pray. Number three, the heap of prayer. I want to get very practical over the next few minutes. Very practical. Because I'm assuming that based on your church tradition or growing up that you have in your mind some picture of what prayer should look like. But I want to challenge you and let you know that that is not the only way to pray. But in your mind, we all have these sort of presuppositions of what proper prayer should look like. What I should be experiencing in prayer. Somebody's like, well, I pray and I don't hear a voice. Or when I pray, I don't get this feeling or these chills. And somehow you've associated that proper prayer is supposed to look like this or feel like that. But there is a heap of prayer. I just want to give you a few practical ways that you can pray. Pete Scazzaro talks about having this daily office. In other words, you know, when you think about, you know, you're going to the office, you're going to work, and there are certain hours that you kind of put in. Having this daily office with God, this time alone with God. Now, for some of you, you might be like, well, listen, Pastor Roger, I'm not a Christian monk. In fact, if, if there is a Christian monk in the room this morning, can you just raise your hand? I'd, I'd love to just, nobody? No? Yeah. See, most of you are like, I don't have eight hours to give to God for prayer. I don't even have two hours to give to God in prayer. And so because of that, you're like, I'm just not going to do it. But see, what, it, what, what, what Pete Scazzaro talks about is this daily office and what does it look like to even just give a few minutes a day? To find a place and a space that, what, uh, lock yourself in the bathroom, go into the car, whatever it needs to be, but find a few moments in a day to just get away to a lonely place and pray. Okay, but when I get there, what, okay, what, what is that supposed to look like? Well, listen, there's all kinds of ways. There, there's the one that we probably are all familiar with is petitionary prayer, right? We bring our petitions to the Lord and we ask him for things, ask him we, we, for, 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 you know, to, to provide for us or, 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 or to help us in some kind of way. And listen, that is, that is good prayer. Not against that prayer. God responds to prayer. That isn't the only kind of prayer. There's a second one that I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I tried to Google the way to say it, and I almost called Pastor Phil because he's the one that, that says it correctly. But anyway, um, it's Lectio Divina. Did I say that, Pastor Phil, right? Hey, there you go, Lectino Divina. You say, ooh, that sounds so fancy. That's like mystic kind of prayer. What are you talking about? Well, 
Basically, it's this idea that you open up the Bible and, and through Scripture, you use Scripture to pray. Maybe you open up the Psalms or maybe you look to the prayers of Paul. And, and, and this, is, this is extremely helpful. It's, it's when you take this and you say, listen, I don't really have the right word. I don't know the right words. I don't have them. Well, guess what? The Bible does. And it's incredible when you just open up the book of Psalms or go to Paul's prayers or whatever and, and just begin to read those out loud. But don't just read it, but, but read the passage slowly. Pay attention to each line. Take your time. Take your time. This isn't five seconds. It's so crazy, you know, because people be like, oh man, it takes such a long time to read the Bible. It actually doesn't take that long, right? It doesn't take that long to read some passages. For, for instance, Psalms chapter one says this, I'll just read it. It says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves neither wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the paths of the godly, but the paths of the wicked lead to destruction." That wasn't even a minute. And I just read one chapter. I mean, sorry, one, yeah. You, you, know, you see what I'm saying? And so it doesn't actually take that long. And so you can actually take your time and read it slowly. Reflect on it. Look, look, look at, see, what, what words maybe uh, is the Holy Spirit highlighting to you when, when, when you're going through this? And then meditate on those words. Think about them throughout the day and pray on them. You can even respond to God in what you are hearing. Either vocally respond or, or what I love is have a little notepad or, or a journal and just re write in it and respond to, 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 to what it is that, 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 you, that you just said out loud or that you just read. Rest in the silence of God knowing that you've just heard these things and let it saturate your mind, you see. It's actually, very, it's, it's actually very, I'm giving you a very practical way to pray. Very practical way to pray. Right? So, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Lord, help me to not follow the advice of the wicked. Help me to learn how to discern or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but delight in the law of the Lord. God, help me to delight in your law. See, what I'm doing right now is I'm praying. That's exactly what I'm doing is I'm praying. Right? And, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful way to just, a simple practical way to pray. Just take a few moments to pray. Contemplative prayer where, where you take it and, and, and you can meditate on it and you begin to think about what it is that the passage is, is saying. Or, or here's something that's even more practical is, is take a list and just write down some things that you want to pray for. You can even take a certain day and say, okay, listen, I, I'm going to write this list, and on Monday, I'm going to pray for my family. So you write down, you know, your, 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 your family's names, you know? That's when you're like, listen, Pastor, I have a big family. Okay, well, maybe spread it out then, but... And then on Tuesday, maybe, you know, you're like, okay, Tuesday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for, you know, my coworkers, my boss, the company I work for. Whatever, you know, and, and, and you can just, it, as simple as just have a piece of paper, and then, and then every day you just go to that list, and you say, okay, today's Monday, okay, let's just, let's just pray for this list. Very practical. You, 
You can, you can begin to examine or, or, or sometimes prayer is just examining or processing with God. You know? So Beck and I get in a fight and, and we're arguing and stuff. And so I take some time, you know, and I just get frustrated. I say, listen, I, I, need, I need a minute. I need a minute. And I just go and I just breathe and I begin to process with the Lord. Okay, God, why did I get angry right now? Why was I triggered by that? Well, what does the gospel say? We just were in a meeting um, the other day with some other leaders at another church, and they were doing this exercise. And what they were doing was they, 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 they put up some, some, some what they called lies that we sometimes tell ourselves. And then what they did was they said, okay, now... What does the gospel say to that? How, how would the gospel respond to those lies? You know, for, for instance, one of the lies, um, if I remember correctly, was something to the effect of like, um, uh, you know, like um, my, my value is in, you know, getting things done. And if I don't get these things done, then people are going to get upset. And if people are going to, then, I, then I, I'm, I'm not valuable. Right? Well, what does the gospel say about your value? What does it look like to just contemplate, to journal? There are so many different ways and techniques to praying. What does it look like to wake up in the morning and just take 10 minutes? And then maybe sometime at lunch, take five minutes of your lunch. It doesn't have to be three hours in the morning. You know, it doesn't have to be the situation where you're just laid out and, and, and you're weeping before the Lord for five hours. And because you can't do that, then you can't pray. Listen, no matter the form or technique you choose, what I want you to know is this, that even in all of these, distraction will come. Distraction will come. The minute, I'll tell you guys, the minute I go to sit down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. My mind begins to think about that email. Or I get that alert on my phone, and there it goes buzzing. And, you know, I'm, you're, you're like, okay, let me just look at it real quick, right? That it, it will happen. You'll hear the kids or, I, you know, whatever. Distraction will come. You'll begin to think about, you know, the game that's coming on, you know, the next day or, or that show that you meant to hit record on. I mean, it just will happen. You know, what about dinner? Or, I mean, distractions will happen. Or even, this happens to me a lot, fake, like fake conversations, right? Like, oh, I need to talk to this person about that. But now if he says this, I'm going to say this. And then if he says that, well, I'm going to respond like this. Oh, but what if he says this over here? Okay, what's a good way? Okay, I'm gonna stop and let you. And I'll have this whole made up conversation happening in my mind. And sometimes when those things happen, guys, and they happen, is there's a couple of little things that, that, that some people do. Some people say, you know, uh, as they're praying, like something comes in their mind that they do. Okay, just write it down. It's written down. Now forget about it. And go back and say, okay, God, I'm back. And be like, oh, that's right, the garbage has to go. Okay, wait, let me write it down, garbage has to go. Okay, okay, here I am again, right? Just little, little, little ways, that, that practical ways that help us stay focused. And, and here's what somebody said, and I tried looking up who said this originally, but um, somebody said this, if in 10 minutes of prayer, our minds get distracted 100 times, that is 100 opportunities to get back to Jesus. Wow, right? I know, I need to find out who said that. If in 10 minutes of prayer, our minds get distracted 100 times, that's 100 opportunities to come back to Jesus. You know what that means is, man, when I would get distracted in prayer, I felt so guilty, like, man, I have no relationship with God, or I'm shallow, or I can't even, you know, pay attention or whatever. No, it just, it just means this, that, that you and I are human, and that, and that we are uh, learning what it is to pray. A hundred opportunities to get back to Jesus. Prayer walks. What does it look like to just take a walk and just pray while you're walking? You know? All these different types of tools. But listen to this, because I want you to hear this. 
You say, well, why are there so many ways? Pastor Roger, wouldn't it be easier if, if God just made one way? If God said, here's how you pray, here's how you do it, and this is what will happen, and, then, and, and just give me, just, just tell me exactly what I need to do, and I will do it. Why does there have to be so many different ways to pray? Here's why. Look what Pastor Rich says. He says this, prayer is not a technique to master, but a relationship to enter into. Prayer is not a technique to master, but a relationship to enter. There's so many different ways and types of prayer because it's not about praying the technique itself, but what it is, it's about entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the main object of this rhythm, the main object of prayer is to be with God. Is to enter a relationship with him because he is our hope. Number four, the hope of prayer. See, our culture trains us that we, we really can only trust ourselves. And so because we can only trust ourselves, we really can't trust other people. I don't even know if we can really trust God. That's what the culture says. And so we, who we can really trust is just ourselves. And because of that, we're overwhelmed. L- listen to this. He says this, everyone I know is drowning in their thing, and it doesn't matter what your thing is, whether it's creating art or knowing the right people or profit margins or whining and dining clients or raising kids. We can't see past our own thing because it's all consuming. And so prayers to God understandably are vague and frequent and done with a calculated amount of hope one that feels like it could actually happen, and we continue to do this at the expense of being constantly overwhelmed. See, the relationship that we enter into is one where we trust the character of God. To trust the character of God. Trust allows us to say, listen, God, I may not understand what you're doing right now, but what I do know is that you are good and I can trust you. Jesus does not just reveal to us a God that we can perfectly understand, but he does reveal to us a God that we can perfectly trust. As we get ready to close, listen to this. The reality is, is that some of us have probably had earth-shattering experiences of unanswered prayer. And of deep prayers, not just like, man, you know, God, help me get that, you know, Mercedes or something, right? But earth, completely spiritual, mental, emotionally shattering experiences of unanswered prayer. Maybe an abusive husband, the death of a child, pain in your body, having to watch a loved one suffer with dementia, a marriage that is barely holding on, more like roommates and acquaintances than husband and wife. And you have prayed, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, and there's been no answer, you feel. You prayed, and the child still passed away. You prayed, and the pain is still in your body. You prayed, and the loved one is still suffering with dementia. Earth, spiritually, mentally, emotionally shattering, unanswered prayers and you say Roger how can I trust God well because God himself actually knows the shattering experience of unanswered prayer he knows what that's like because God himself came and wrapped himself in flesh Jesus became human and here on earth he went to a garden 
And in that garden, he saw the wrath of God coming. He knew that he was about to experience the cross. He knew that he was about to cosmically take on the sin of every person that ever was, that ever will be. He saw that. The penalty for the whole human race. The wrath and justice of God. He was going to take that. So he goes to the garden and he says, listen, Father, this, this cup that you want to give to me. He goes, can it just pass? I don't think I can bear it. And the response from his father was nothing. He went to the cross anyway. He died anyways. See, we can trust him because he knows what it's like. But he went anyways. Why? So that way you and I could enter into a relationship with him. It's a way for us to be able to come to Jesus Christ and say, listen, I just want to be with you. just want to be with you see sometimes that's all that prayer is sometimes that's all that prayer is it's just it it, 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 it's not even the list or it's not even you know a a certain time frame or, or or it's not sometimes the rhythm is just to be with God just to be with him do we know what that's like To not come to God with necessarily anything, but just because you want to be with Him. As you stand to your feet, actually what I'd love to do is I'd love to invite you to do that right now. Can we just create a space right now And just in our hearts, in our minds, be able to say, God, I'm just here.